the basis of God's praise. This was in 1920 given. Rising responsive to the exhortation of Psalm 107, we praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men, especially for the greatest exhibition of his goodness and of his wonderful works in the Lord Jesus anointed, whom we meet to remember according to his commandment. In him, as has been said, do meet a thousand prophecies, whether a reading of the ritual of the law of Moses or in the Psalms, they all centre in Christ, and we remember him saying after his resurrection from the dead that it was so, and expounding to his disciples the things in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning him. This meeting together to remember Christ has been done continually from the apostolic age. For the custom is before us in the chapter we've read together, which we should have read together, and where Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the ecclesias of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has, pros has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. These things were written about A.D. 60, and we perceive that this meeting together upon the first day of the week to remember Christ was a custom in the ecclesias of Galatia and in Greece at that time, and it has been such a custom wherever the truth of God has been found down to this day a monument of the Lord's goodness and of his wonderful works towards the children of men. But we are accustomed when we meet together to consider Christ as the first fruits of those who slept and of those that shall be saved, and therefore we have to examine ourselves as we are exalted as to how far we as latter fruits conform to the pattern and the characteristics of the first fruits, that is, the object of our gathering together. And that object is attained by letting our minds and reflections be directed by the thoughts of God that are before us in whatever portions of his word which we may be before us in the readings. The passage that we are reading from Leviticus in chapter 8 is not far removed from this purpose. It tells of the consecration of Aaron and of his sons. Christ is the antitypical high priest of the house of Israel who is consecrated forevermore, to use the language of the apostle to the Hebrews. He is the antitype, and with that clue, we look back upon these wonderful provisions of the law of Moses and see how they bear first upon Christ, and then upon ourselves as members of his body. Moses was commanded by the Lord to bring Aaron and his sons, and to provide garments and an offering to separate them to the Lord's service. Moses obeyed, and brought Aaron and his sons, and washed them with water. 
Washing with water is for cleansing, whether of the flesh or of garments. And the lesson here to begin with is that the flesh needs washing, a lesson that the world is slow to learn. There is an inveterate tendency in quarters high and low to proclaim that the flesh is a good thing. It is not so. It is this corruptible, and it is that because of sin, so that the first of all lessons is before us here, that is, to be acceptable to the Lord, and we must be washed, cleansed. When we look at our Lord Jesus in this respect, we see that even he, spotless in character, bore this corruptible nature, and though spotless in character, he submitted to a washing in water, when the prophet of the highest, who was sent before him to prepare his way, almost forbade him. He said, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest, comest thou to me? And such were the words of John the Baptist. And we know the answer. Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. And if it was becoming for the sinless Son of God, how much more for his imperfect brethren and sisters. The one who has submitted to that washing of water by the word will take comfort from this reflection, and so we do at this time. So far we have done well, for that is, but that is not all. The consecration of Aaron and his sons did not stop at the washing of the flesh with water. There was a clothing, a clothing with garments of the Lord's providing, made to the Lord's specification, not of man's device at all. What does that signify? It was that Christ is of God's providing, a robe of righteousness such as no one has woven. God has provided it, and God has specified how man must put it on. As many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. So here Christ is before us as the antitype of all this beautiful clothing that was put upon Aaron for glory and beauty. There is an inner significance here also, for in the prophets we read of Messiah being clothed with righteousness, girt about with zeal, <clears throat> and also there is a further significance in the bestowal of the divine nature as a reward for that righteousness. The clothing and garments of fine linen in the Apocalypse are specified to mean the righteousnesses of the saints, so that in all this type there is a great lesson for us as we come together to remember Christ, who so completely satisfies all the divine meanings of the type in the glorious substance that God has revealed in him. Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. Then he put on Aaron the coat, girded him with the girdle, put on him the robe, put the ephod upon him, and girded him with the curious girdle of the ephod, and bound it to him therewith. And he put the breastplate upon him, also he put in the breastplate, the earth and the thumbs, and he put the mitre upon his head, 
and also upon the mitre, even upon his forefront, he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. And upon that holy crown was a legend which said, Holiness to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord. Then we read of the further provision, the sin offering, the burnt offering of one ram, and the further ram of consecration. And concerning that last, it is said that he slew it, and Moses took of the blood of it, and put it upon the tip of Aaron's right ear, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's sons. Here again our Lord Jesus is before us, for of him the Apostle John says, This is he that came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is a spirit that bears witness. How came by blood? By his own sacrifice, the offering of the body of the Lord Jesus, once for all which was the substance signified by all these typical offerings of the law, as is abundantly expounded by the Apostle to the Hebrews and elsewhere. By his own blood he entered into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. But we ponder the details. Here is God's specially chosen man, Aaron, of a special tribe of the house of Israel, specially washed, specially clothed, and then by blood, specially separated in three particulars, the tip of the right ear, the thumb of the right hand, and the great toe of the right foot. We say hearing and doing and walking. We remember Christ's words, take heed how you hear and what you hear. Remember the psalm that we have sung together, the paraphrase, Blessed are they that undefiled and straight are in thy way, who in the Lord's most holy law do walk and do not stray. That is signified here by the sprinkling of the blood, the touching of the blood on hand and foot, as well as on the ear. We look at Christ, The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. He was of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He heard the Father's voice as no other man ever heard it. He was sealed directly by the Holy Spirit. But can we doubt that less proximately he heard the words from the written book of the law, the Psalms and the Prophets? We cannot doubt it. We see the proof of it in that incident in the synagogue at Nazareth. There was given to him a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he took it and found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now take the lowest of low low plains. You hand a Bible to a stranger and you say, Find that place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And he does not know it. He has not heard it. And even with our Bibles and all their modern methods of finding places, The uninitiated cannot do it because they have not heard it. But with Christ, the word was in his mind. He knew what was written and where it was written 
and how it should be applied. He heard as no man heard, and therefore spoke as no man spoke. He said, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. The lesson to us, of course, is thus comparing this ritual with Christ. Is, let us also be swift to hear. And the apostle adds, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. In the context, James tells us be to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save ourselves. Christ is saved through the word, yea, his name is the word of God in the Apocalypse. Therefore, let us hear continually, neglect not the reading of the scriptures, the daily reading, and the meditation thereon. And then as to the hands and feet, we need not labour, it is so obvious. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good. What a beautiful epitome of a human life. We are called upon to follow him. We all come short. We are sure that no honest-hearted brother or sister pondering these things can escape feeling that somewhat condemned. That, so far, is wholesome. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But the object of our association and of our coming together is not to de depress, but to edify, to provoke to love and good works. So if we examine ourselves and find we have been wanting, let us do better. On the other hand, if we examine ourselves and find that we have somewhat conformed at any rate, let us take comfort. Even the Apostle, you know, says, God is not unrighteous to forget your labour of love that you have showed toward his name. A good man does not forget the good deeds of his friends, how much less God. Therefore, let us take comfort and encourage ourselves in God. Aaron was anointed on the right foot. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace. Every true-hearted brother that goes up and down through the country, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and endeavouring to get men and women to conform to the will of God, is so far fulfilling the anti-typical provision of the law which applied blood to the great toe of Aaron's right foot. And our Lord Jesus Christ is the type of all. He preached the gospel of the kingdom and his hands and feet were nailed to the cross. The sacrificial blood was upon him. He had done the Father's will perfectly and therefore he is free. The language of the psalm that we read describes his experiences. We do not know how far the Spirit of God may have intended this psalm to, to cover Christ, but it is a characteristic of the beautiful Word of God that all the episodes of the divine history are involved and focalised, so to speak, in Christ, as was the exodus from Egypt, literally. There is a mystical exodus from Egypt, likewise. We have all come out of Egypt, so to speak, and are going forward to the land of promise. 
Therefore we may take that to ourselves. And as the psalm, which appears to have been written after the captivity, exalts us, we may be thankful for the goodness of God that has granted us that deliverance already. Let the redeemed of the Lord give thanks, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gather them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. God gathered Israel from Egypt, and yet again from the Babylonian captivity. But yet again there is a greater gathering to come, and most are to be gathered from Sheol itself, so that when we look at things in this particular way, we say that there is before us a great thanksgiving festival in which people will praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men as never praise has sounded on the earth before. Therefore, let us adapt, adapt ourselves to that spirit in the present time of waiting, in trouble and distress, when men's hearts are failing them for fear because of the things which are coming on, on this earth. And we know that there comes at length a time of perfect peace after the storm in the kingdom of God. There runs through the psalm a strange mixture of sorrow and rejoicing, a continuous reverting to the troubled experiences of the sons of men on account of their evil doings, and then going back to the note of praise and redemption. This is truly divine. It is not found in any other literature. We have it in the second clause, if we may so divide the psalm, because it all naturally divides into certain sections that culminate in that refrain, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. In verse 11, Because they rebelled against the word of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High, therefore he brought down their heart with labour. They fell down, and there was none to help. That is just what Jeremiah said in Jerusalem when that city fell before Babylon. She came down wonderfully because she considered not her latter end. And that is really true and truly the explanation of the whole misery of man. It explains all the strifes and wars. It explains everything. Men may not have peace in wickedness. God will see to that. He has said so and here before us is a monument of it in Israel's experience. But there is hope in it, thanks be to God. If it were not so, we would like to be dead and out of it, but it was so even in the days of captivity to which this psalm appears to look back. There were those who went to Babylon for destruction and those who went for preservation, not only in this mortal life, but in the life of the kingdom of God. Of these, Daniel was a type, and we have his mind. He was a man who prayed to God for Israel, and who acknowledges the righteousness of God in all the trouble that came upon them. He lived to see the restoration, for which many gave thanks in the language of this psalm. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and broke their bands in sunder. 
Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. We can imagine that that would be a very real and joyful description on the part of the remnant that came back from the captivity. Although the old men wept and said, this is not like the old times, but it will be. The psalm goes on. He has broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. We have the description of great Babylon and her apparently invincible gates. God overthrew it all and redeemed his people. But there are worse gates than the gates of Babylon. Christ refers to them, the gates of Hades. And he was in there and God broke these and let him through, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And so Christ is liberated and praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And to this day, the word of the Lord is begetting a people whom, if they have to depart into the captivity of the grave, Christ will liberate as he himself was liberated. Thou hast ascended up on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. In the light of the truth, may Mel say with the psalmist, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men.